0: In the 21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly, a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much, though, because we've got you covered. We're hardcore international relations nerds, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're reading the news so you don't have to. We are The Elucidators. The Elucidators. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. We're coming at you Wednesday, uh, September the 4th, 2019. And boy, do we have a hot one for you. Uh, my name is Steve Pally. I'm with here as always, with my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How's it going, Sooms?
1: Good. How are you, Steve?
0: I am good as well. I am tired and confused by trying to figure out what's going on across the pond.
1: Oh, no. What is going on across the pond, Steve? Uh,
0: well... Depending on who you ask, we're watching the world's quote-unquote most stable government in the United Kingdom either break down or be stretched to its absolute limits.
1: Yeah, it is, uh, it is a mess over there, and it all comes down to whether or not and how the United Kingdom is going to stay in the European Union. This That's is right. the infamous Brexit debate.
0: This is our Brexit episode. We tried to delay it as long as possible. Turned out to be 4 weeks. <laughs> Given <up laughs> what's happening in the UK, we've got to talk about Brexit. This is this is stuff you just don't see very often in international relations. And so we're here to talk about it. Um, shall we quickly kind of run through the right now of what's what's actually going on over there because even this is very confusing. Like forget about like all the background behind it, which we'll get to later. But even just understanding the ins and outs of all the machinations, uh, parliamentary procedures and craziness that have happened in the past week or so is just almost beyond us as Americans. But we've made a good faith effort. So let's run through it, shall we?
1: So... This week, as, as we've already said, it's been crazy over there. Part of what's happened is that the, uh, the prime minister, the new prime minister for, I think it's about six weeks, has, has lost his majority in parliament.
0: Right. And, and this is, of course, Boris Johnson. He is the guy that looks like uh, Jeff Jan- Daniels' character in Dumb and Dumber and kind of acts like him, too.
1: Yeah, and part of the dumb and dumber aesthetic is apparently deliberate. Uh, allegedly, this gentleman, before he knows he's going to be on camera, will muss up his hair. He's actually a very sharp guy, but he likes to portray himself as a bit of a doof. It mm-hmm. adds to his charm. So in this past week, the the long and the short of what's happened is first the prime minister asked the queen for permission to uh, suspend parliament for five weeks.
0: Yeah. And this is something that is basically what the British would call completely out of order. It simply isn't done. It has happened, I think, once in modern British history, but it's been about 70 years. Yeah, that's right. So the British don't have a lot of written rules and procedures or a written constitution for that matter. But there are very strong sort of procedures and customs in place. And this is a major violation (laughs) of those procedures and customs.
1: The, you, to your point, the, you have to go back to the 1689 Bill of Rights, which establishes the supremacy of parliament over the crown to go back to the last written document of, uh, of British governance.
0: So the, Bojo kicked... Parliament. We we call him Bojo. Uh, a lot of people do, apparently. Uh, it's easier to say Boris Johnson. Uh, some people just call him Boris, but I think Bojo's good. He kicked parliament out for five weeks as prime minister of a party, the conservative or Tory party that he is the nominal head of and controls the government. He did this because he is trying to complete Brexit by a deadline of Halloween, basically. And there aren't that many weeks between now and Halloween and removing five additional weeks from the calendar makes it very difficult for parliament to try to stop him.
1: Right. So they have a deliberative democracy, uh, just like we do. The members of parliament are elected to represent their various, uh, their various jurisdictions. And part of the process is supposed to be that the prime minister, in debate with the other members of parliament, will decide on what the terms of Brexit are meant to be. It should also be pointed out that this October 31st Halloween Brexit deadline was not the original deadline. The original deadline was, uh, was several months back. This was an extension that Bo- Bojo's predecessor, the tortured Theresa May, had to ask the EU for back in the early, earlier part of this summer.
0: Right, Bojo pulled this move um, to try to stop Parliament, including some members of his own party who are not hot on a hard Brexit, from passing a law to stop this from happening. However, before Parliament left, uh, Bojo's conservative party, the Tories, once again, has disintegrated. Right. He lost his majority. He's, he's lost his majority, uh, including one member who actually stood up in the middle of him making a speech and literally crossed the aisle and sat down next to another party's leader, leader <laughs> in like a major, major FU moment um, that appeared on Twitter and every place else. It was pretty awesome, actually. And so he's lost 21 of his governing party, including some very, very important old-time Tories, such as Winston Churchill's grandson, who is now in his 70s.
1: Yeah, Nicholas Soames uh, has left the party of his grandfather and Britain's greatest prime minister.
0: Yeah, and because these 21 Tories did not support Bojo's agenda, they have been expelled from the Conservative Party. Uh, and basically will not be supported by the party apparatus cannot run under the Tory name in the next election.
1: So there's two things happening here that is causing this conservative party disruption. One is the five-week suspension. The other is the debate over a hard versus a soft Brexit. Now, a hard Brexit means that the UK will just leave without any kind of negotiations, they're gone. A soft be- Brexit is an undefined thing, beca- and I say that because it's been defined many ways at different times over the last several years. Which basically means how is the UK actually going to leave the finding different ways in which the UK can leave, whether that means altering trade agreements or migration uh, migration agreements or political agreements between the UK and uh, the EU. I guess kind of one useful way
0: to think about this is uh, analogizing this to a divorce in that there are lots of different types of divorces. Um, There are amicable divorces, and then there are divorces where you kick somebody out of the house and point a gun at them. And that's kind of the difference between hard and soft Brexit. Soft Brexit, Britain kind of remains in some kind of trade relationship formal trade relationship with the EU. There is no hard border established between Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland. So goods and services can continue to We're pass. We're
1: going to this Ireland, to, the, to these issues in much more detail later. Yeah,
0: the, the point is that they stay a lot closer to the EU. Um, hard Brexit is basically the UK exiting the European Union violently and uh, basically breaking all those trade agreements, reestablishing hard borders and taking back total sovereignty. Over what happens to the United Kingdom. Uh, we'll, we'll get into more of that later. Point being, enough of Bojo's party didn't like the idea of hard Brexit that they have deprived him of a working majority in Parliament. So the parliamentary members uh, that are not in favor of hard Brexit, they might be in favor of soft Brexit or no Brexit, meaning staying in the European Union, have basically seized control of the Parliament parliamentary agenda from the prime minister, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that's not supposed to happen uh, because a prime minister comes from parliament itself. Right.
1: Right. I mean, the long and the short of this is much like Mitch McConnell in, in the American Senate. In order to really wield power, you have to have a majority. Well, Bojo no longer has that majority.
0: Correct. He is now leading a minority government.
1: You have, you will not be able to govern in a minority.
0: He can, I'm not sure if he can introduce legislation or not, but he certainly can't pass any legislation. Furthermore, the House of Commons has now passed a bill forbidding hard Brexit and forcing Bojo uh, to take a three month extension uh, to try to renegotiate Brexit with the European Union. Meaning that Bojo now has no leverage when talking to the European Union. Because the thought was that the Halloween deadline would hold the Europeans' feet to the fire.
1: So part of the reason that Theresa May had such a tough time trying to negotiate a Brexit of her own was that she was trying to work with Parliament and she could not find a majority majority support in Parliament for any kind of Brexit deal. And so Boris Johnson's uh, response to this was, well, if there's three parties at play here, me, Parliament, and the EU, why don't I make this a two-party deal so it's easier to, to get something done. I'll just eliminate Parliament. Ignoring the fact that if he tried to get rid of Parliament, Parliament might say, hey, fella, we might not want you to continue to have your position.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a high-stakes gamble that is actually still playing out as we speak. So now that he's been deprived of a, of a working majority in Parliament, Bojo has demanded an election, an early election prior to the Halloween deadline by something like two weeks but in order to get an election, uh, which would, which could, in theory, uh, eliminate more anti-Brexit elements and like give him a more solid majority in Parliament to pass what he wants to pass, kind of restore his control over Parliament, it requires a two-thirds majority in Parliament to do that.
1: Does he have that majority, Steve? He no longer has
0: that majority. Okay. So he is, has been negotiating... Uh, with Jeremy Corbyn, who is the leader of the Labor Party, which is the second largest party in parliament, sort of a left-wing counterpart to the Tories. Corbyn has refused to go along with the idea of having an election, probably because he feels unprepared to have a national election in, what, four weeks or whatever it would be.
1: Yeah, six <laughs> weeks, October 15th, right?
0: Yeah, um, the, the hard Brexiters command a plurality Uh, And they're a lot more organized than the soft and no Brexiters, uh, which gives them probably some advantages in a national election. But it's still not really clear whether or not they would win a national election or a second referendum for that matter. But it doesn't matter because there is going to be no second election, uh, at least for the time being, which leaves the British government at a stalemate
1: yeah man but steve what is the time being because we're it's our it's you know coming on close of business on the west coast of the u.s on wednesday september 4th tomorrow there might things might change again
0: yeah no it's it's definitely a a fluid situation all of that has been a mouthful uh we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll get into an analysis of how we got here stay tuned Hello, valued listeners. If you like what you're hearing on The Elucidators, please do us a solid and tell everyone you know about the podcast. If you really love us, please also feel free to read us five stars on your podcast store, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever, and write us a glowing review, because we rely on your positive feedback and word of mouth to grow and improve. And if you have comments or questions email us at allonewordtheelucidators at gmail.com or tweet us at the underscore elucidators. We may even answer your question on the show. We are back. We just tried to explain uh, the last week of the ongoing Brexit saga. Uh, We thought that we've alluded to sort of events in the past uh, that have been important in getting us to where we are now, which is basically in a huge boondoggle. Um, and now we're going to briefly run through it to try to trace the threads to figure out how we got here.
1: Part of the thing about being in international relations is that you're looking at long-term trends in the international system. That means politics between nations. And so this Brexit thing is coming on like a hurricane, and it's also going against a lot of the big trend lines that we've seen since the end of World War II. So just to give you a greater sense of what that means, the European Union comes out of World War II, the chaos and uh, carnage of World War II, and it starts as, an, as a form of economic cooperation between France and Germany, and over several incarnations and revamps, it then grows to include 28 countries, including the, including the UK, and part of the UK's membership is that it will accept migration and market, uh, market activity, all of which is to say people, goods, and services can travel between the 28 countries of the EU without, uh, without any borders.
0: Yeah, and, and although the UK has been sort of a foundational member of the European Union, it has never joined in its entirety. Um, in particular, it's maintained its currency, the pound sterling, instead of adopting the euro. Uh, which is significant for what we're going to talk about next, which is basically what happened during the Great Recession of 2008.
1: Right. So the Great Recession of 2008 comes and it hits the Eurozone a lot harder than it hits, say, in the U.S. and the U.K. Now, the Eurozone makes that harder with austerity measures. But in in the U.K., they look at this and they say, okay, we have maintained our currency. This is part of our strength. And now we look at the mess over in the EU where stronger economies like Germany have to bail out dysfunctional economies like Greece. We don't want any part of this. Furthermore, over the last several decades, there have, there's been a massive influx of folks from all corners of Europe, folks that are not English, not anyone you'd consider traditionally English, who have been living in the UK and uh, enjoying social benefits that they can't find in their homelands.
0: Yeah, so the, the sort of, um, I guess, dog whistle phrase used was uh, the Polish plumber. This became a big thing in the UK, it, like kind of uh, uh, lesser skilled Eastern Europeans coming in and depressing wages um, for working class British people. And as this happened, the far right fringe, the anti-immigrationist fringe in the UK Started to grow and become very vocally opposed to the free internal migration within the European Union that allowed any European citizen to basically up stakes and just move to the UK and have enjoy citizenship there.
1: Right, uh, all the rights and privileges therein, including access to the natural national health system as well. But folks that have taken that tack have also ignored that many gigantic multinational firms and financial houses have set up offices in London that it's not just blue-collar companies that have, it's not just blue-collar folks that have come into the EU. This has been a gigantic boon for the UK's economy, specifically with high-end services and technology, the technology companies that have come into London.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So access to the very large European market is pretty important to the right.
1: half a billion people in the UK market without or having or the your...
0: EU market.
1: Yeah. Sorry. The UK, the EU market.
0: Right. Yeah. It's the, it's the largest combined economy in the world. Uh, I think outweighing even the United States, um, if you treat the European union as its own country and it has some characteristics of a country, but is really more of a supranational organization as us IR nerds like to call it. Um, it doesn't necessarily have a standing army and stuff like that um but you know it does have uh an integrated market its own currency free immigration within its borders and uh a very large set of sort of laws and regulations um regulating everything from uh what you can produce on farms to uh sort of uh, emissions controls and things like that right
1: and this is another point of tension so before uh, Bojo becomes uh, prime minister. He is first mayor of London and then beco- rises to become a member of parliament and Theresa May's foreign secretary. Uh, back in 2013, he says something to the extent of sometimes these EU rules sound simply ludicrous, like the rule that you can't recycle a tea bag, or that children under eight cannot blow up balloons or the limits on the power of vacuum cleaners. Sometimes they can be infuriating, but like the time I discovered in 2013, that there was nothing we could do to bring in better designed cab windows for trucks to stop cyclists from being crushed. If it had been done at the European level, and uh, anyway, he goes on.
0: Yeah, we don't know how many of those things he made up. Um, He's a bit of a fabulist, like this other guy we know in the United States. Um, But some of that is probably real. Anyway, all this to say, the far right is rising in the UK. And in 2016, David Cameron, who is the conservative prime minister at the time and is really not interested in pursuing Brexit, decides to hold a referendum to kind of settle this issue once and for all uh, and, and crush the far right decisively in a national referendum. Uh, the idea being the EU... Uh, remainers expected to win this referendum handily and this problem would kind of go away for a while Um, obviously that's not what happened
1: (laughs) is right and part of the so cameron to steve's point about the rise of the far right in uh in the uk part of that has remained in fringe parties like ukip
0: so the uk independence party which is Pretty uh, self explanatory and is mostly defunct at this point. Uh, It was run by this guy, Nigel Farage, who is now uh, heading up the Brexit party. Anyway, after losing the referendum, uh, David Cameron resigns because this wasn't supposed to happen. He screwed up, and we get Theresa May.
1: This is, I think, a good moment before we get into the Theresa May uh, regime. It's important to say that during that, the vote. Basically, gave two options. Instead Correct. Of that is very important. Yeah. There are two options. One was uh, to remain in the EU, and the other was to simply leave.
0: They'd said nothing about how they would leave. Exactly. Critically. And,
1: and this was part of the problem because there are folks, there are soft, now soft Brexiters who may have to end up turning to becoming Remainers because the hard Brexit is the last thing that they actually want.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the preference ordering is, for, for a lot of people is actually soft Brexit, remain hard Brexit, right? Um, right? Because they want some amount of sovereignty back, but they want to stay in the European Union to avoid basically inciting like an economic depression in the UK, which may very well happen if we see a hard Brexit and the UK loses all of its trading partners overnight and has to deal with tariffs and, and all of this kind of thing. Um, Of course, none of this was discussed by the leave campaigners. Um, Nigel Farage in particular was very flippant uh, about this process. He thought it would he, he claimed that it would be very easy. We're going to listen to a clip uh, from an interview with him. I think prior to the referendum, or was it after the Referendum.
1: Uh, It was from September. So the referendum was in June, 2016. This clip is from September, 2016. Okay,
0: so this is after uh, the referendum has come in successfully for Farage and and the Leavers. Let's take a listen. Brexit isn't going to be delivered by 2020, for example. What do you do then? That's a perfectly fair question. I, I mean, to me, Brexit's easy. You know, we have back British passports. We have control of our fishing waters and our companies are not subject to eu law through the single market they're my three tests if you like of what brexit means by 2020. um i hope i'm wrong i hope they deliver all of these things well let's get to my question Uh, what do you do if it isn't delivered by 2020. well then I couldn't walk away, could I? I wouldn't be able to go so into all of it. So this is another semi-retired. No, 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 I, I hope I never stand for election again, ever, anywhere. I hope I don't need to. I did not come into this for, for a career. I came into this for a cause, for a crusade. Right, yeah, so the idea was, we're gonna make the UK great again, and this will be easy. It'll be a walk in the park. Um, if for some reason it's a problem, then I'll come back into politics, but it's not gonna be a problem.
1: Right. And you can hear from Farage, he's clearly not a details guy. <laughs> and part of one of the big problems that has come up in, uh, in, this, in, the, last, in the three plus years since the bref- Brexit referendum passed has been the, quote, Irish question. Oh, my Steve, gosh. Yeah, Steve, what is the Irish question?
0: Right. So uh, one of the major sticking points in the whole Brexit debacle when negotiating Brexit has been the status of Northern Ireland vis-a-vis the rest of Ireland. Now, you may or may not be aware, um, the Irish island has a pretty fraught history um, and actually underwent a pretty nasty civil war. As recently as 30 years ago, people were getting shot in Northern Ireland Um, quite routinely by snipers. Bombs were blowing up all over the place, including in London. Um, And this resulted in, I think, hundreds of casualties, maybe thousands on both sides over a very long period of time called the Troubles.
1: So, yeah, so the the long and the short of this is the UK is made up of Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, and England. Uh, What happened with Northern Ireland is through this is actually a triumph of European diplomacy that through 30 years of pretty rough conflict that didn't just stay in Northern Ireland, it spilled into England as well. There was able to be a, a peaceful and lasting peace until now called uh, the Good Friday Accords, which led to the creation of, of Northern Ireland as a country that would be part of the UK. And as part of this, there would be no border between Northern Ireland the six counties of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland.
0: Yeah. And this worked because the UK and the Republic of Ireland were both members of this larger European union organization. So it actually made sense.
1: Right. And economic, economic ties between Northern Ireland and Ireland increased in the 21 years since the good Friday accords safety has, safety has been restored and now post in this Brexit confusion, there is a crazy thing that's happened, which is now a sizable percentage of of folks that want of Northern Irish that wanted to keep in Northern Ireland are now starting to lean towards reunification with the Republic of Ireland, right? The UK.
0: All of this is important because uh, Theresa May, who's the next Prime Minister after Cameron, negotiates a soft Brexit deal with the European Union called the Checkers Agreement. And critically, the Chequers Agreement includes something called the Irish backstop, which guarantees no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland post-Brexit. But the hard Brexiters really don't like this idea because it means that they're still effectively in the European Union. Um, So Theresa May tries to get the Chequers Agreement through Parliament three times and is voted down three times, including by hard Brexiters in her own party. So she eventually just quits earlier this year. And that is how we get Bojo, Boris Johnson, in July of 2019, right?
1: Right. Theresa May, can't; she cannot satisfy the Remainers because she's trying to push a soft Brexit through. And she can't satisfy the hard Brexiters because she can't push a soft Brexit through. Right. And I, to add yet another layer of irony to it, she was initially a Remainer. She, want, right. she, like David Cameron, wanted no part of this whole mess.
0: Yes, but at the same time, she also wanted to respect the results of the referendum because that's what you're supposed to do in a country that follows the rule of law. In 2016, it is the case that the citizens of the United Kingdom chose to leave the European Union. They made no choices about any of the details, unfortunately, but they did win that referendum. So the idea was, well... Our duly elected representatives in Parliament have a responsibility to figure out how to do that, um, and that's what Theresa May tried really hard to do for three years and failed. Um, in comes Bojo. Bojo says that he wants soft Brexit, but in order to get a better deal from the EU, a quote unquote better deal, he needs leverage. What does that mean?
1: Uh, honestly. I don't even know. I've been trying very hard to keep up with him, but I don't know what he means when he says that. Right.
0: Well, what, what he means is basically um, a hard Brexit is going to do damage to the European Union as well as the UK. Um, so it's kind of almost a suicide bomber strategy economically. Um, so it's like, okay, you guys, we really don't want to do this, but if we don't have a better deal, if you don't give us more concessions by the end of October, we're just going to have to, rip ourselves away from the European union and let the chips fall where they may. Now, uh, a lot of people have looked at this and said, this is a dumb strategy. Um, I agree with them. It is a
1: dumb strategy.
0: It's a super dumb strategy for the following reasons. One, the European union is done with this. They're done with the UK. They're sick of this whole process. They just want them either in or out, Um, ideally in, uh, but out would be good too at this point <laughs> some kind of resolution
1: look if you're if you're if you're a leader in the european union you've tried your best over years to work with a couple prime ministers of the united kingdom they can't get anything done because their their domestic politics their house is in disorder and you have 27 remaining members of the eu All you want to keep them there that's right all of them, have, every single country in the EU has their own domestic politics to deal with. They, you do not want to set a precedent of being pushed around or rolled over because one country wants to leave.
0: Yeah, and furthermore, the, re- the remaining members of the European Union are quite a bit bigger than the UK. So any damage is going to be disproportionately borne by the United Kingdom. The European Union will feel this somewhat, but it's not going to be a matter of like food shortages and medicine shortages and like chaos at the major ports in the UK, like all of these um, sort of estimates that the government has drawn up uh, in terms of what might happen when a hard Brexit goes down. Uh, so the European Union it, it does not consider Bojo's threat credible at all.
1: Absolutely. And they shouldn't. And frankly, they hold many of the cards. The other part of this for the EU is... Great. You know, say, say you create all this mess for the UK creates all this mess. A lot of those big companies that are based in London that we were talking about, well, they still have European operations to take care of. Now, they, if you're sitting in, the, in, you're sitting in Brussels or Strasbourg, the two joint capitals of the EU, you're sitting there thinking, well, maybe you want to move to Madrid maybe you'd like to move your business to paris barclays you know maybe that there maybe there's a better business for you in the european market with the 450 million members of the eu than there is dealing with the dysfunction of the uk
0: yeah and to to that point which is a great one i i think it's also the case that if you're running a multinational you like certainty even if the even even if you like um you know, having a slightly better deal or better terms or something like that in one place, uh, if that place has really volatile policies and they don't have their house in order in terms of regulations and rules and laws, you'd rather go someplace else that is maybe a little bit more expensive, but you can be certain will not be changing the rules every year for the next 10 years, right? Um, And it's starting to look like the United Kingdom May itself be co- coming apart at the seams as part of this process. There is a non-zero chance that if the hard if the hard Brexit scenario goes down, uh, the uh, UK could lose both Scotland and Northern
1: Ireland. Right. So let's, this is, I think, a, a good moment to kind of take a step back uh, and talk about the bigger international relations trends. So, as we said before, the UK is made up of Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, and England. If you look at a map of who voted for Brexit uh, and who voted against it. The Remainers, the anti-Brexit vote, was most concentrated in London, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Well, we've talked about Ireland. The Another lurking problem that, again, the pro-Brexiters never bothered to discuss was the issue of Scottish independence. Before Brexit became an issue of UK politics, there was a referendum several years ago about Scottish independence, and the Scots voted to remain in the UK. Part of that was predicated upon the UK staying in the EU. Scotland does a lot of business with the EU, and now there's a question of whether or not the Scots will want to stay in the United Kingdom. So now you got the Northern Irish thinking, talking about going back with the Republic of Ireland and the Scots talking about leaving the UK.
0: And becoming independent Scotland. So, you know, brave heart, freedom, so on. if If I were them, I wouldn't want to stay in the UK after this nonsense, this is crazy.
1: This also runs against one of the great trends of global economics for the last hundred years, which is globalization and integrating markets and the belief, and I think largely proven, that the more you integrate economies and supply chains, that's how goods get made with parts from different places, that you're going to have less conflict. This is one of the driving reasons for even having the EU.
0: Uh, all of that is true, but on the other hand, it is equally true that not everybody benefits the same way from trade. And in fact, a lot of people end up losing. And if they're not appropriately compensated in other ways, then they tend to get pretty mad at globalization. And we've seen kind of this same phenomenon play out in country after country after country, including the United States, including now Brazil. It's happening pretty much everywhere. Germany, France, you name it. Um, So, you know, there are countervailing forces as well.
1: Steve, that's like, that is a great point because it's the blind spot in between uh, the international relations folks like us, who are like, hey, maybe if we have more economic integration, there'll be less conflict, and economists who say, well, almost every country in the world has been getting wealthier, largely because of globalization and industrialization and then more economic integration. Well, the blind spot is these benefits are not proportionately dispersed.
0: That's right. They're concentrated in, for instance coastal cities and places like that, right. financial centers. Um, and again, you see this uh, in the United States where you have the the heartland versus the coasts, right? Uh, Red America versus blue America. The UK has exactly the same thing going on. And in terms of what happens next, the fact of the matter is that the government of the United Kingdom is stuck in a stalemate. The country is genuinely pretty badly divided. Um, there are lots of people in the UK that, are demanding a hard Brexit. Um, The hard Brexiters probably have a plurality, uh, meaning they're the largest single group, but they don't have a majority. Meanwhile, the soft and no Brexiters probably have a majority, but they're having a lot of trouble coordinating because they don't actually want the same thing.
1: Right, and for folks, some folks that favor hard Brexit, they look at the world right now and say, oh, we already voted on Brexit three years ago, but my life actually hasn't changed that much. Brexit isn't that bad. They don't understand that Brexit hasn't actually happened yet. And so many of the goods and services that they depend on to live their lives will come to a screeching halt. Because again, none of those things have been negotiated yet.
0: Yeah. Or they have been negotiated, but not not ratified by the UK. And it doesn't look like they're going to be ratified.
1: Right. Right uh so
0: in this so, so those folks should probably be listening to our podcast right to just get the uh, 411 on all of this craziness
1: steve all folks should be listening to our podcast yeah <laughs> well i mean okay let's let's bring this to a head there's yeah. this long-term movement for the uk to to be part of europe it comes with tensions there is the question of how much sovereignty the uk should have what this means for its various parts and this Brexit, Brexit passes in June of 2016 on specious grounds. People don't actually know what it is or what the implications are. And in order to respect the voice of the people, now they're trying to, for, they're trying to force through some kind of Brexit without necessarily knowing exactly what it's going to mean or how it's going to affect people's lives. And there's a real question of whether or not, if they even ask the people again, would you vote for Brexit, what the people would even say.
0: Yeah, because now a lot of people realize that (laughs) Brexit runs the gamut from soft to hard. And there are a multitude of potential Brexits, um, all of which have their own wonderful colors, shape and size. Um, It's just a a whole menu of awesome things to choose from. (laughs) And uh, it's just really difficult to try to uh, figure out which one to pick uh, in a direct democracy democratic type move, like a referendum, you rely on representatives for that. Um, But the representative institution in the uh, UK, namely parliament, has broken down and is basically jammed. And it doesn't seem like it's capable of doing anything right now. Um, So the fact of the matter is that we don't really know what's going to happen next, do we?
1: No, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't really know where the will of the people are, what will of the people is. And uh, this is, we're we're going to do another Brexit episode after, I guess, October 31st or January. Frankly, we don't know when or if Brexit's actually going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's, I can tell you that the prediction markets thought that hard Brexit was going to go down um, at like a roughly even chance on Halloween. And that seems to, have been cut to about a third and is now continuing to fall. Uh, I think that's enough for uh, Bojo's wild ride. Um, Do we have a quick update on the
1: situation in Hong Kong? Right. So, uh, man, (laughs) Hong Kong has... uh, So our second episode was about the protests in Hong Kong, which have been going on all summer. It started off with protests uh, over an extradition bill which, uh, which was meant to pass in, in Hong Kong, allowing extradition of criminals from Hong Kong to China.
0: Right, and we've now had, I think we're up to 14 consecutive weekends of protests, massive protests, including one or two weekends after the start of school, which uh, the, the Chinese authorities and the Hong Kong authorities had hoped would kind of tamp things out a bit, uh, down a bit. It, it, that has not happened. Um, Sort of two notable news items. One is Carrie Lam has been overheard, uh, possibly on purpose, saying that she wishes she could resign.
1: (laughs) Right. Carrie Lam, the chief executive. Yeah. Carrie Lam, the chief executive of Hong Kong. It's a real question. Do you think she leaked? Who leaked it? I think she leaked it. I mean, it's yeah. smart. So, so people uh, will feel, it's...
0: Yeah, so people will feel sorry for her and, and maybe rein it in a little bit because she's, she's basically out of cards to play. The Chinese authorities have forbidden her from making most concessions. Um, although apparently she did make a pretty important concession. That extradition bill um, was shelved. It was tabled. Um, that wasn't good enough for the protesters. Now it has been completely withdrawn.
1: Right. It one was... of their
0: original demands.
1: Right. It was tabled back in June, but the protests continued and escalated. And now the, the bill has been withdrawn. But frankly, the question for Hong Kong now is, okay, is this going to be enough to get the protesters off the streets? Frankly, with the way things have been going, the trend lines indicate that I don't think the Hong Kongers are going to stop till they can either get the suffrage, universal suffrage that they want, or China's going to come in.
0: We'll see. You know, it it may be that Carrie Lam or somebody else after she resigns uh, is able to kind of dole out enough concessions and things kind of calm down. And like, you know, the protests dwindle to a more manageable size over time, Uh, because I still think the Chinese really don't. They really, 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 really don't want to go in. Uh, with any sort of force or anything like that
1: this is this is also to bring it to the united states this was a rare break in the republican party on hong kong mm. mitch mcconnell yesterday tweeted that uh any kind of aggressive chinese action i'm paraphrasing any aggressive chinese action in hong kong would demand a very strong response from the united states this is a break from president trump who has more or less indicated that Hong Kong is China's issue and the U.S. is not getting involved.
0: Right. He sees it as an internal affair. But, However, uh,
1: that gentleman apparently used a Sharpie to uh, update a NOAA map about Hurricane Dorian's uh, trajectory and then put that on TV. So who knows what he'll do.
0: Right. Uh, it's threatening Alabama, was it? Interesting. Anyway... I- <laughs> I, I think that's it from us.
1: Trying to or, speak it into existence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it, the, Hurricane Dorian is still alive, so I guess it could change course at any time. Right. Um, I think that does it for us for, from this uh, somewhat extended uh, edition of The Elucidators. Uh, great talking with you, assumes, And Yeah,
1: we will be back next week.
0: We'll be back next week.